0: Several years ago, my wife Cara and I traveled to Germany and we were hosted by a couple in Mavuno, Berlin. Uh, They were a a lovely couple, pretty well-to-do. Both were educated professionals and they had good paying jobs, well-paying jobs. And one thing we noticed very quickly is they didn't have a TV, they had no PlayStation, they had none of that stuff in their house. Instead, several walls in their house were covered with shelves and on the shelves were books of all kinds and games, uh, board games for their children to play. They had an 11-year-old, uh, amazing young man, and he was working on a small electric project uh, to make a doorbell. In fact, he had to, his dad had to guide him to use a soldering iron to make the doorbell. And we were very curious. <laughs> and we asked a couple, I mean, why, how come you guys have no PlayStation? You have no TV. All you do is this board games. And then the boy, and by the way, he made a bell, he made a doorbell. And I, I remember you are just asking me, press over here. And I'd press and be like, ding, ding. And the guy was so excited. He's like, I made that. And so we asked him, how come you don't have a PlayStation? How come you don't have a TV in your house? What's happening? And they said something that really surprised us. They said something like in this country, the wealthy or middle-class typically, typically don't give their children video games. They teach their kids how to, how to create such games. It's only the blue-collar workers who you will typically find buying video games for their children. I was shocked, as you can imagine. Because where we came from, it is the wealthier families who teach their children how to consume. The idea is, when you've made it, you buy the toys for your children and you indulge them with the things that will entertain them. And I was surprised at this way of thinking. Greetings, Mavuno. Welcome to church. As I said before, my name is Mareidi Wanjao, Senior Pastor of Mavuno Church. And wherever you're watching in the world, we're so glad you're following along with us today. Our visitors, we're going through a series called Vaccinate Your Money. And we're talking about how to break the curse of our families, financial curse, and bring economic healing to ourselves and our families. And last week, we dealt with how to break the curse of indebtedness in our families. And we learned that money, debt is not a money problem. It's actually a contentment problem. I believe that God is raising a debt-free generation of worshipers, of fearless influencers, who are free to obey God and go wherever he sends them in the world. And somebody right now needs to be saying, "Amen." amen. You know, I'm very excited about this series, as you can tell, because I just feel like God's going to do some really great heart shifts in us as he begins to teach us about kingdom finances. So today we want to talk about our second curse, and it's a curse that has limited the finances of many. Whichever country you're watching this from, I pray that this will be useful and relevant for you. I'm going to be talking today about the curse of consumerism. What is consumerism? Consumerism is the idea... That a person's well-being or happiness depends on obtaining consumer goods and material possessions. In other words, the more stuff I have, the happier I will be. That's what consumerism is. And here's the thing: it's it's such a huge pressure in our society. In fact, we call it progress. Progress is living in a bigger house next year than I live in this year. And everybody who comes from my life group into my house will be like, wow. <laughs> progress. You've advanced. Progress is advancing to a more expensive car. Last year, I was driving Toyota Wish. This year, I'm driving Subaru Impreza, and all my boys are like, hallelujah. God has blessed you. That's progress. Progress is taking your kids from a, 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 a certain school <laughs> to a Porsche school. <laughs> so there are some schools you don't even mention. You, and you and those, those schools, when guys ask you which primary were you, and you're like... You don't even want to know. It's like like it doesn't even really have a serious name. And then you're taken to academy and then you're taken to prep school. Do you know this prep school? It's like, yeah, this is progress in our society. Progress is always wearing nicer clothes and having more pairs of shoes than you to choose from than you even know what to do with. That's progress. You get the drift. This is a pressure of the society that we live in today. And the interesting thing is this has become such a part of our thinking that we don't even realize this is not how the world has always been. It's a very recent phenomenon. Before the 20th century, most people in the West lived a culture of frugality and thrift. People saved money. People were careful how they used money because it was never enough. But after the Industrial Revolution, they produced companies that were able to mass-produce products. And during the World War, the products that were mass-produced were weapons. But after the war, there there was no more need to produce that kind of weaponry. And all these companies were ready to produce goods. But people are not interested in buying those goods because people were happy with what they had. And so the companies panicked a little bit and they said, we must do something different. And they came together and they harnessed the findings of psychology. Psychology was a new field at that time. And they created these things that we call today PR and advertising. Some of you work in those fields. And as you're watching this, you probably know this better than I do. That their primary goal of those industries was to create dissatisfaction so that people buy more. In other words, look for satisfied people who are very happy with what they have and show them how they are very sad. Like they are so deprived. Like how could you not have this thing that you really, really need? And when people would see that, they'd be like, oh my God, for real, I'm so sad. I didn't even know I was that sad. And people create that dissatisfaction, there's an industry of dissatisfaction was created. And people are manipulated to give up their old values of savings, of being thrifty, and to become consumers to become people who are always envying what they didn't have, what others had, and always aspiring to a higher and higher standard of living. It's so interesting, when you think about it, it's sad, because it manipulates human beings. So white women, by the advertising, are made to realize that they're too white. And so they're told, they're sold sun tanning lotions. And then black women are told, your skin is too black, so you're told, skin lightening cream. And it's so interesting because it's like, you want the thing the other person has. And so you buy a Brazilian weave. Do you know, by the way, Brazilians, I just feel sorry for, Brazilians just sit down and cut their hair for real and they ship it to Africa. That's a sermon for another day. Let me not even start that. <laughs> Let me just leave that right now. So, so this is what the advertising industry has done to us. It's made us unhappy with what we have and debt was sold to us as a great way to have what we need and to have it now. A national economic model was created where nations in the world, the only way they count their economy, their, their, their growth of economy, is how much you're consuming. Did you know that when you talk about GDP of a nation, it's not actually talking about what a nation has. It's talking about what a nation consumed. And so the bigger the, nation, the, bigger the nation's GDP, the more consumption they have. What a warped world we live in. One retail analyst said this, and I want to actually show you this, uh, this quote on the screen. Uh, in 1955, he said this. He said, our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life and that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burnt up, replaced and discarded at an ever accelerating rate. In other words, to keep our economy growing, we need to create a new religion. The worship of stuff. And this is a world today we live in where we worship stuff. And what these people did is they realized we can't just help get people to buy stuff, we have to keep them buying it faster and faster. So the best way to do that is to help them to want things they don't really need. And so they began to develop what they called planned obsolescence. Planned obsolescence, what does that mean? It means that they started to make goods to be replaceable faster and faster. So before they made things that were were strong, some of you have those old 504s, those old cars of back in the day, those old Volkswagens. I mean, those things were made of metal. You could drive it. In fact, some of you are driving the cars your grandfathers drove. Uh, Those are old things and they don't wear out. But today those cars are made where it touches something and it just... it's made of rubber and it's just, it's finished. And that's called plant obsolescence. Uh, they they, they start making razors that you use and then you throw away and everything started becoming disposable. And that's just what you can buy it faster and faster. And then apart from that, they also made the creation of new models. And what that means is that you're always feeling that you don't have what you need. So you bought the Samsung S8 and you're feeling so hot. And then you walked into the shop and it's like, S9? And then you bought the S9 and you're like, now I've shown them. My God. And then you walk into the shop and it's S21. And you're like, oh God, woe is me. And then you look at the cameras in that phone. And then as you're buying it, you're being told the Z folds. Have you seen those? Fo- like a phone that folds. And you're looking at it and thinking, where have I been all my life? I'm so miserable. And of course now you're thinking, how do I sell the one I have? How do I get what I need? And it's computers, it's iPhones, it's whatever it is. It's obsolete just to make you consume. It's a religion of stuff. And if you see this desire to always have more, to always have the latest, to always have the nicest, it's not the way we were created to be. It's a very recent man-manufactured phenomenon. It is something that is fueled and funded to turn us from producers into consumers who are always craving for more. And the people who benefit the most are the people who produce the goods. The people who sell you those things. And here's the thing, so, social media has only increased this times 100%. Uh, I saw a friend with my car, uh, driving my hot, their hot new car. And it's like, my God, And the, the, the hashtag is Nimaombi. And it's like a, a really posh uh, car. And you're thinking, God... I, just, I was just trying to catch up with the last one he had. Now he has a new one. And it's like, how did that happen? He's now on holiday in Dubai. And you're thinking, my goodness, there's something lacking in my life. I have to just spend more to keep up with my friends. And no one is saying, but the message is, the more I do this, the happier I'll be. If I just get what that guy has, I'll feel better. And the problem is, you know the truth, you never do feel better, right? It's like you always need something else, another fix to help you feel better. You post it on social media, how will people know? And by the time you're posting it, someone else has posted something better. It's just a sad, sad world that we live in. Here's the problem with consumerism. It keeps us from ever attaining financial freedom. It's a curse on us. And the thing is, it's not just a curse in Africa, it's a curse across the world. Even in some of those developed, so-called developed countries, consumerism is at an all-time high. As Africans, particularly, we're trapped in this cycle of consumption. We're so conditioned to it, we don't even realize we become net consumers of other people's solutions. We work hard, then we use our money to buy imported luxury items. The net result is we look rich, but we're not actually building generational wealth. We're actually making somebody else to be rich. Why? Because we have a spending culture and not a savings culture. That's a problem with us here. Unless we deal with this curse of consumerism, I can tell you this. We will remain hustlers. (laughs) I know that's a politically loaded thing to say in this country right now. We will. We will always be there and we'll always be proud of being hustlers. But the problem is we'll never be at peace. We'll always be doomed. We'll always be running. We will never own our own things. Other people will always call the shots. And that's why there are very few generation, uh, good examples of generation, multi-generational African businesses. Very few. Why? Because you, <laughs> Kamau and Sons grows, and what happens? As soon as he dies, Sons come to consume. And the next thing you know is that the next generation, the thing has collapsed, and they're fighting, they're boardroom wars because they just want to inherit and to consume. We've not been taught to create, we've been taught to consume. God has richly, richly blessed us as a continent, but we consume everything he gives us on ourselves. And as a result, we remain with the curse of consumption. What will it do to break the curse of consumption and to produce real wealth for our families? Now, I'm hoping you're taking notes today because I believe that there's something here that is true for every single one of us watching. I think it's going to be relevant for you as you take note. So please do, because I believe, again, this is is one of those liberating messages, one of those before and after places in your life. Uh, What's about to happen in the next few minutes could actually change everything, everything for somebody who's listening to this. The most important step is to replace our consumer culture with a savings culture. Now, I've taught this before, (laughs) and I shared this book last last time, uh, Financial Fitness. Uh, I have a chapter in it on how to create a budget and the importance of savings. The interesting thing is about, in the book, there's a lot of mechanics. There's a lot of how-tos. And I think you need to actually get this and figure out some of those how-tos for yourself. But one of the things I teach there is that the minimum amount of your income should be that you should save is 10%. That the minimum amount, look at your neighbor, do they look convicted by this? Or are they like, oh yeah, I got this, got this. In other words, for every thousand shillings you're earning, you should be saving how much? A hundred shillings. Should be going into your account to pay yourself first. And uh, We've taught that from this pulpit many times. Now, the thing I've also said is, if you really want to create wealth, that will help you not be poor. <laughs> but if you want to be wealthy, you should actually be saving at least, you should actually be spending at most 60 percent of what you earn, And you should actually be freeing the rest for investment and giving. And that's something that I've taught again from this pulpit. Now I know there's somebody who is new to the church, uh, who's never heard this before, and you're asking, Pastor M, I don't understand. I mean, how, how, how? Do you, do, you, do you even know how difficult things are in this country? Do you understand with the COVID crisis, we're barely making ends meet? How can I even begin talking about living on 60% when I'm just surviving? Is that even realistic? Do you even understand what you're saying? Some of you are even tempted to brush me off right now, to flip channels, because this just this sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds like something made up. But I want to ask you to just stay with me for a minute because there's something that I believe we're gonna talk about here that changes everything. The most effective way to destroy the curse of consumption is to embrace a culture of simplicity. Embrace a culture of simplicity. Now listen to me, people. The things I'm teaching this month, you're not gonna learn them on social media. They're not gonna be things that you're gonna find out there. They're things in God's word. So listen carefully because you're gonna find that they go counter to the message you're receiving day in, day out. Simplicity is not something you'll hear taught about in our culture. What is simplicity? Simplicity simply means scale down your lifestyle so that instead of living on the edge and spending everything you have or even more than what you have, you leave margins. You leave spaces. You give yourself breathing room and you have significant reserves. That's what simplicity is. It means disconnecting yourself from the consumer culture. From that belief that bigger is always better, more is always better. It means learning to slow down and find joy in the simple things in life, like relationships, like nature, like reading a book. Now, some of my friends have made an accidental or forced discovery of simplicity, the joy of simplicity, in this last year of COVID. They didn't actually plan to find it, they just found them. (laughs) I mean, one of my friends was up country with his family and uh he had relocated i mean he hadn't he had had gone there to on holiday and then march last year boom country was shut down we couldn't travel uh people couldn't he couldn't come back home and the lockdown was complete Uh, actually it wasn't March. it was the one that uh, that ringed the cities and actually nobody could come into nairobi or leave and he's there with his whole family and they're up country in the in the farmhouse there just a few days of holiday to come back So he realized, my goodness, I might as well just uh, spruce up the place a bit, make it a little more livable, because now we're going to be here for a little while. And they did. And they began to be outside in the garden a bit more. They began to actually just learn what the place was like, enjoy the city there, the town nearby. He realized there's actually a good private school there, because his kids couldn't come back to school, so he enrolled his kids while they were waiting And they just continued as they were hoping for things to work out. They realized that they could actually get uh, good Wi-Fi from there. So they began to do their office work there. And then the country opened up. By that time, it had clicked in their head. Why am I going back to the city? Like, what am I going to find there that I don't have here? And you know, it's so interesting. I met this guy. I, I bumped into him, I was up country, he's a Mavunite, and he came up and I was in a place where I thought, nobody, nobody can ever know me in a place like this. And the guy goes up like, hey, pass and I'm like, whoa, okay, sour. I'm more famous than I thought clearly. And, and the guy says, no, I'm a Mavunite, I'm here. And I said, what are you doing here? Are you here for work? He says, no, I live here. And he said, you know, it's so interesting because right now we are so happy. By the way, the guy looked happy, he was glowing. And he said, fewer bills means less financial pressure, so we don't have to earn as much. And he said, "What's happened is we've realized we can be more with the fam- we can be more with the kids. We can actually have better quiet times. I mean, better times with the family. We're actually enjoying being outdoors. We are healthier than we've ever been. We're eating better food than we've ever been." And he said, "Instead of re- returning to Nairobi, what they did is they sent a truck to collect their stuff, which they even realized they didn't need half of, and they even gave some of it away because they didn't actually need it." What a great discovery! I have another friend who's probably watching this. Who went? Who 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 also relocated up country because his bills were too much. He wasn't getting gigs. He's an artist, and so he just moved up country to be with his parents. And then he realized, oh my gosh, I can work from here. I can fly, come into the take a bus into the city whenever I have a gig. And the guy is so excited now. He's so happy. He's living a simple and contented life. And I could definitely relate with these people when they spoke. Because simplicity, there's a joy that comes in simplicity that many people have not discovered. When Caro and I got married, uh, we were very broke. (laughs) Like we were young and broke. And I'd only been working for seven months, like from college. Uh, Like got into college, did an internship at the church and then got a job. And for seven months I'd been working, of course, with an assistant youth pastor's salary. Like... That just tells you nothing, you know? And, and, and for Carol, she had no job. She got a job like a month before our wedding. And so, so like we were like, okay, this is what we have. We had a wedding and it's like now we're living and we made a decision though. We said, even with the way that we are, we will live on one salary and we will save another one. So we'll use the other salary uh, for saving. And actually the funny thing is we decided to, use, to live on my youth pastor salary. And to save her nicer salary and invest it and give, that, give, give from that. And the funny thing is, we, actually the place we lived in was such a, like it was a place where when our friends came to visit, they'd say, oh, is everything okay? Like it was not what they expected me <laughs> to be living in. You know, it's like they felt sorry for us. But here's the thing, we were in love and we loved each other and we were very content to be in that place. Huh? But here's what happened. As God began to continue to bless us, as our income continued to grow, we kept that principle. We've always lived on one salary, and we've always used the other for investment and saving. Guess what has happened because of that? We started small, and of course some of our friends were here because they had great corporate jobs. But you know what happens with time? As you just have more and more reserves, saved and invested. And guess what's happening? Slowly, boom. At some point we looked around and we realized we're actually quite wealthy. We did not get a tender from the government We did not steal tithes from the church. We did not have any wash-wash money because we have no rich uncles who could even hook us up with such tenders. But somehow, we just found ourselves in a place where we were surprised at what we had. And over the 27 years we've been married, we've been able to build considerable wealth as a couple simply because when the opportunities came, we didn't have to hustle to make ends meet or to invest. We always had reserves. And also it meant we had time for each other and we had time for our children. And we've enjoyed being generous. We've enjoyed being a blessing to other people. And it's true what King Solomon said. Here is Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. By the way, I'll always quote King Solomon. <laughs> He's such a great guy. Proverbs 10, 22 says, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow to it. My goodness, you don't have to live a life that has sorrow. Simplicity is your solution. You know, there's some powerful words that Jesus said in the scripture. I want us to reflect on these words. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 29. And he says, come to me, All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Because he says this, I am gentle and humble at heart. And you will find, again the same word, you will find rest for your souls. You know, the way of the world says that true happiness comes from having the latest stuff and hustling hard to maintain a, a, a good lifestyle that you can impress people on social media. And I'll tell you, people are running and they're working and there's no rest. There's no time for their spouse. There's no time for friendships because you're running so hard. And I'll be, I'll be honest, it's so hard for... I'm, I'm preaching this message and as I'm preaching it, I can already tell this is a hard message for you to hear. Why? Because it's going against everything that the world is teaching you right now. And so, some of you are going to listen to this message and tomorrow you'll be running again. It's just a reality. But some of you, this is going to be life. This word today is going to be life to you. You know, this message is so strong. It's in your billboards, it's in our TVs, it's in the movies, it's in the internet. It's telling you, consume, 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 worship stuff. Jesus is saying, Take my yoke. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And, you know, the thing about it is the way of the world will leave you weary, it'll leave you burdened, it'll leave you stressed, it'll leave you burnt out. And Jesus is saying, my way is different. It's a way of humility. It's a way of simplicity. And it results in rest and refreshment, not exhaustion and burnout. Many of us right now, we're we facing burnout simply because we've taken the way of the world. Here's a few other scriptures. I'm going to just be sharing randomly from different scriptures today. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 36. And Jesus says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet to forfeit their soul? My goodness, how many of us are running up and down, we're living frantic lives we just, just to keep up with the bills? I mean, in the meantime, we're trading away the things that really matter, our souls, our spouse, our friendship, our ability to be present for our children and our parents, our ability to enjoy and be grateful for what we have, all those things that really matter. We've become human doings and not human beings. And one of the things I tell people who are my friends, I say, listen, in this time of COVID, we must take every relationship seriously. We have no guarantee that our parents will be there tomorrow when we go home. We have no guarantee that our siblings will always be there for us. How do we create the margins so we actually have time for the things that count? Jesus is asking, how is it a good thing for you to be a human doing and not a human being? Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 11, King Solomon. He says, Here's a great description, by the way, of the consumer culture. He says, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. (laughs) As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Oh, my gosh. It's like we're so busy running that we don't even have time to enjoy the things we're buying. You've got a 60-inch screen TV in your house, but you can't even watch it because you're so busy. This is what he's saying. It's like we're too caught up, accumulating things we never have time to enjoy. You've got a whole cupboard of shoes that you'll never wear. <laughs> oh God, help us. Because the last time you took leave, even to wear that shirt that you bought for the coast, you, you, you don't even have time for it. King Solomon is saying, why do you think it's a benefit for you to be in that position? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. It's a great, uh, great scripture by St. Paul, uh, the apostle Paul. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So so what is he saying? He's saying, guys, just because I can afford it doesn't mean I need it. Just because I can have the latest iPhone. By the way, I can. I can. But I don't need it. It's not going to make me happier. And here's the thing, we've been so caught up, our next generation, especially the young kids, they're so caught up with this thing. And it's like, you're just looking at stuff. We're just worshiping stuff. Paul is saying, yes, you can have it, but it's not necessarily beneficial for you. Why would you think it's a good thing for your staff to master you? Why would you think that? And then the prophet Jeremiah, he says these powerful words. He says, this is God speaking to Israel. He's quoting God. And he says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It's like this agricultural picture. You've got a spring in your farm, a beautiful spring. It produces fresh water. And it's like such a good thing, but you get bored of it. You're like, ah, this is too easy. And so you go to like a place where you're like, let me just dig and find like a well, and maybe this one will give me water. And it's like, you're digging, but you have water there. Are you crazy? Are you nuts? But that's what we're doing. Jeremiah is saying, these things can't satisfy you. The one who can satisfy is right here. He can fill you with fulfillment and contentment. But you are saying, come on. Okay, God, I'll see you on Sunday. But meanwhile, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What kind of craziness is this? Why would you replace the true source with fake substitutes? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. By the way, I just said I'm going to share some scriptures today. I hope you're taking note of them because I believe that this is God's word for us in this season. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, and yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Wow. Someone is saying, just learn from the ant. Seriously, if you don't like reading, if you don't like, (laughs) some of you, I know it's too much work. You don't like listening to someone, just go watch (laughs) ants. Just stand and watch them. (laughs) Because he's saying, listen, you learn so much about them. Those ants, they have no commander. Nobody's telling them to do it. They have no preacher telling them you must save. But those guys, they're so smart. Every ant understands that there's a future to be planned for. And so even though things are many, it's planning, but it's reserving. It's spending, but it's reserving. And it's knowing that a time will come when there'll be winter. A time will come when there's drought, and we'll need to have extra food for that time. Every one of us, by the way, are in exactly the same position as an aunt. Do you understand that right now, you're working, but winter is coming? Some famous people said that once. Winter is coming. And if you start working at 25, and you work for the next 30 years before retiring at 55... So you're 25, you've left college, and you've got, maybe you're working for 30 years, and then you retire because you're 55. And guess what's going to happen? You've got another, at least, at least, and maybe more. You've got 25 more years ahead of you. Every one of us. So think about it right now, a young person who's watching this. Anybody who's under 55. You, you've, got, you've been working, and you get to this point. And what's going to happen? You're going to realize that every month you worked in this season was not just for that month it was for the other month that was going to come in other words for every month you're working you're saving for two months and maybe for those of you who are blessed with old age maybe your grandfather died at 120 oh my god you're saving for three months for you (laughs) you know so right now if you're consuming everything that you're making and buying the latest clothes with it what you're doing is you're eating your future today and you will be poor it's just the way it is that's why many of us look wealthy we have all the trappings but we're facing poverty after we retire Uh, I read somewhere that out of every 100 couples over the age of 65, so I know many of you who are watching this are not over the age of 65, so listen so that you can prepare for it. Out of every 100 couples, only one is wealthy. Only one. This is actually a a statistic in America. So I imagine for here it might even be less than one. Uh, So one is wealthy Four have financial security. In other words, they're stable regardless of what crisis comes. Sixteen have assets, so they will survive so long as nothing really bad happens. Eighty are poor and are having to depend on their children or on the government to survive. Eighty! I don't know if you've got hundred friends, but just think about, maybe think about the class you were in in high school, that graduating class of yours. One will be wealthy. Four will be financially stable. Eighty will be poor. Which one will you be? Look at the person in your living room right now. Do they look like they'll be one of those 80 or one of the ones? This is called the curse of consumerism, God's people. Somehow we must pull ourselves out of this curse. Albert Einstein described insanity as doing the same thing over and over and praying for a different result each time. Actually, he said hoping, but for Christians, praying. Lord, I'm doing the same thing I did yesterday, but I'm praying today it works out different. I'm consuming my full salary today, but I'm praying it works out different. And this is insanity. And I want us to break this curse. How many of people are ready to break the curse of consumerism in their lives right now? What will make the difference? Something has to make a difference. We have to be willing to say, come on, I need to make a difference in my life. We cannot be all caught in this curse. We cannot all be consuming and then leaving nothing for the next generation. And here's the thing that's going to make a difference. Because even those of you who are listening, I said last week, many who are listening will continue back with the exact same lifestyle they had before this series. But there's some of you. Mm. There's some of you, you know, the Bible says there's 25% of you. How do I know that? Because in the parable of the sower, the seed that fell on, on, on rocky ground, the seed that fell on, and it was taken by birds, the seed that fell, that was choked by thorns, but the fourth group of seeds, 25%, had fruit, 30, 60, hundred fold. So 25% of you, <laughs> that's so sad, huh? All right, let's just say in Mavuno it will be different. It's more than 25%. In fact, all of you, by God's grace, you will be wealthy. By God's grace, you will be as you apply God's word. Amen? So here's a thing that you can do to apply this message. Here's a thing that you're going to do to actually make a difference for your life right now. I'm going to give you just three things. And today my message is very short, by the way. Because I feel like this one is going to have to take the Holy Spirit to help you understand it. Number one. Number one. Declutter. Declutter. What if you could give away or sell those things in your house, those things in your wardrobe that you haven't used for the last six months or more? Some of you have suits that you've never worn since your wedding. It's still in your wardrobe. Seriously? You won't even fit into it. You're waiting for the day you slim back to your wedding weight. It's not going to happen. Give it away. If you have shoes, you've got 30 pairs of shoes, 100 pairs of shoes. What are those for? Give them away. Declutter. You know, we accumulate so much stuff, it's just going to be burnt when we die. And, and I, I remember one, one, one really sad story. I worked when I was a student uh, in the US with my wife. We, we worked uh, cleaning houses. That's what students do. We cleaned houses uh, for, 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 for older people. And there was this, this widow we worked for. Her husband had died, and she had a beautiful house. Really nice house. And every, every week we'd come and just vacuum her house, clean her stuff, wipe it down. I mean, she had all the stuff that they had owned when they were a young couple with her husband. Her house was like a shrine. Like she even had a DVD player, which must have been like the most, most updated thing when her husband was alive. But now it was kind of like falling out of use. But it, we cleaned it every week. She didn't even know how to work on it eh, or what it was for. But we'd clean it anyway. And we'd clean all the stuff in her house. Her house was a shrine. And I kept thinking the day this woman dies, her children will just sell all this stuff or burn it. And I kept thinking, why would anybody want that? Why are, you, why are we wasting so much time? By the way, I'm a hoarder. I'm one of those guys. I'm speaking to myself. Eh? So I'm one of those guys. In fact, before I married my wife, Carol, I had all these things, even my old high school uh, files. I would keep them and my, my records. And uh, some of them were not even important. It's just like I wanted to remember I got an A in biology. What is this stuff for? Every time we're moving house, we're carrying one lorry is just for your stuff that we're not even going to use. And I want to just challenge some of you that it's time for you to end this. This is how the curse of consumerism, the worship of stuff, becomes entrenched in our lives. What if you could declutter? I want to challenge you this week to give away your stuff. Start to just declutter. Go go room by room in your house. What is stuff we haven't used for a while? And here's even a better use for it. Uh, this month we're beginning. Uh, spread the love our activation at Mavuno every year when we bless the society around us. One of the things we're doing for Spread the Love this year is we're collecting clothes, good clothes, not, all, not the stuff that's torn, uh, uh, appliances, anything that is useful that you have in your house that you want to just give away that we can distribute to families around us that need it. And we're going to do that in all our campuses. We're going to just collect stuff that we can gather and then just distribute and bless the poor with. Why don't you do that? Make a commitment and your kids as well. Make a commitment and clear. And here's the thing I've realized. eh? Every time I declutter, it's like I'm doing this. And what happens when I do this? It's like God removes that stuff and there's room for more. (laughs) But when I'm holding on to stuff, it's like there's not even room because it's like even if I bless you, you have nowhere to keep it. So step number one, declutter. Step number two, which sounds very similar to it, is simplify. Simplify. What are some things God may be asking you to do to release resources and savings towards giving to his work? So some of you, it's, you need savings. You need to save. You need to put aside resources for the future. Some of you are not even able to give because you have no margins. Some of you, God is asking you to to downgrade a radical thing. I want to just speak to somebody right now. You're living in a house that's too expensive for you. It's spending over 60% of your income. You cannot be in that place and right now what you need to understand is my goodness the prestige you're gaining or the convenience is eating your future it's time for you to actually give notice to your landlord and move to a place you can actually afford some of you need to sell that car or sell that extra car some of you it's just some stuff you're holding on to that if you just release even that plot of land you bought release it to pay your debts release it so that you can actually get an an, an, an asset that works for you we're going to be talking about uh, that in a bit but some of us are working such crazy schedules to justify our lifestyles but you know, it's not, it's not even helping us. I want even to speak to a couple here. There's some couples here who are working in different cities. You're working in different towns. I'm going to say something very radical because our culture will never tell you this. And maybe even your parents will never tell you this. Your marriage will never grow as long as you have that lifestyle where you ping pong back and forth. Where you see your spouse once a month or once every two weeks. That is not a way to run a marriage. And many times the reason you're making that decision is a financial reason. It's time for you to simplify and to say, maybe we need to downgrade our lifestyle so we don't need that job. Maybe we need to move away from, from the place we're in and move to a simpler place so we can afford the, the little money that we'll earn in a less stressful job. Some of you need to move to a cheaper town. Move up country where there's land. Put up a simple structure and live there. You can stream mavun on the weekends. Nowadays, there's Wi-Fi all over this country. Do it. Don't be held by anybody here. Simplify your lifestyle, downgrade your kids' school. Here's one that I learned uh, uh, in in an interesting space. There's a time when I I was with a group of older men and we were discussing the regrets that they had. These were men over 10 years my age, some of them. And I was the youngest in the group. And all of them were just talking about the, 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 what I call it, the regrets of life. And of course, I was very interested as a young man. I wanted to learn what they were gonna say. And almost every single one of them said, we paid too much for our children's school. In a bid to keep up with our neighbors, in a bid to do the best for our children, in a bid to do just to to feel like good parents, we paid so much for our kids' school and we used our our retirement money to pay for our kids' school. And one of the things they say to us is simplify. If you can, simplify your children's school. You don't have to, it's not the, the school that makes your child, it's the parent. And you know what? When you now free yourself from being in that very busy job, you'll actually have time to form the character of your child as opposed to hoping that poor school does it for you. Simplifying your lifestyle will allow you to move at a sustainable and healthy pace. So that's number two. Number one was declutter. Number two, simplify. Number three, and this is the final one. I said last week that I'll give you a, a different challenge each week to us as a congregation. And here's the thing, as I've prayed, I really believe, Mavuno, that if we as a church apply this challenge every week, that kingdom wealth will be our portion as a church. I really believe that I will be leading a church of millionaires in a very short time. And it's not because you did anything spiritual or anything crazy. It's simply because you do the things, the challenges, that I believe are in God's word for us. So here's my challenge for us this week. Are you ready for it? Here's a challenge. I want to challenge everyone at Mavuno that by the end of this year, (laughs) by the end of this year, every one of you will be saving at least 10% from your income. And by this time next year, 20% of your income. And you'll be putting that aside for the future. Now I know that many times people say, oh, come on, go and think about it, figure out your own percentage. But I'm saying at least, at least 20% by this time next year. By December that you'll actually make a commitment, I will be saving 10%. And by by September next year, our family will be saving 20% of our income for the future and for God's work. And that by itself will be a huge step. Now, I want to say this. Next year, September, we'll be doing testimonies. I'm going to do another money series. And I want to share testimonies from different ones of you who are listening to this series, who'll be writing to me and saying, Pastor M, here is my testimony. I did what you asked. And right now, this is a kind of peace, this is a kind of prosperity that we have. And so prepare yourself. Like I said, if you want to be one of that 25%, prepare yourself and commit yourself and say, this is God's word to me, I'm going to run with it. Are you ready for a financial season, a new financial season, Mavuno? Hey, listen, I see you breaking the curse of consumerism. I see your family free from the worries about money. I see you enjoying quality time with your family members. I see your marriage moving to the next level. I see your kids happy with their parents. I don't know how many of you are willing to take that step and break the step of consumerism, but if you are, I'm gonna challenge you to pray this prayer with me. We're saying another freedom prayer and it's a spiritual prayer. So pray it with us if you're ready to make this step. It's on your screen right now. Let's all say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've not been a good steward of your resources and that I've been influenced by the spirit of consumerism. I have run after the things of this world which cannot satisfy. Please forgive me. Give me the courage to trust in you and not in possessions and to seek first your kingdom. Help me to live a simple life and to enjoy your rest. I take authority over any spirits of consumerism that have bound me and my family in Jesus' name. I bind you and I cast you to the place that Jesus prepared for you. I break any curse over our money. And I declare, listen, declare this together. We will not languish in poverty, merely looking rich but instead through good stewardship, we will manage God's money wisely. I declare that we will experience the goodness of God in the land of the living and that we will always have the resources to be cheerful givers and to live an inheritance for future generations. I pray all this, believing in Jesus' name and God's people say it together. Amen.